Parenting is a full-time job, and providing effective support for today's teens can be challenging. The Parent Engage 360 podcast aims to provide connections and information from experts in the fields of chemical health, mental health, internet safety, and more. It's a comprehensive view on parenting, provided in a personal, convenient format. Tune in to today's episode of the Parent Engage 360 podcast series. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Liz Burgard, Parent Involvement Coordinator. I'm very excited for our conversation today with Dr. Josh Stein, Child and Adolescent Psychiatrist at Prairie Care, and Julie Buffeau, School Social Worker at River Trail Learning Center, around the topics of anxiety, schools, and testing. Dr. Stein has an ongoing partnership to support student well-being in Anoka Hennepin schools. He does this work through training with our support staff, committee work, and connecting with our families through this podcast. Along Dr. Stein, Julie Buffeau is a licensed clinical social worker with an understanding, care, and dedication to students and families that she supports each and every day and those that she works with along the way. I am truly thrilled to be here today. Welcome, Dr. Stein and Julie. Thank you. It's good to be Thank here. You. Yeah, very good to be here. It's nice to finally get to, for all of us to get together and have a conversation. To get started, Dr. Stein, I learned that you are a lifelong Minnesota sports fan and that you're a child and adolescent psychiatrist at Prairie Care. Can yes. you, are those the only two things about you or can you tell the audience or who's listening a little bit more about yourself? Well, I think maybe to your audience, what might be really useful to know is I'm also a real world parent. I have three kids, 10, eight, and five. And so um, I have to both practice what I preach and really understand uh, the real world of raising kids and that textbooks and also podcasts only get you so far. And and I, I've learned a lot from my children and from being a dad that has informed my practice and my awareness of just how real and hard uh, being a parent can be. Um, and then let's see what else. I, I, I am a Gopher fan. I went to med school residency and fellowship. Um, at the University of Minnesota, and that's where I did my training to become a child psychiatrist. I work my days for the most part in Brooklyn Park with Prairie Care, and I work in the medical office building in something called Partial Hospital. Um, and then I also help with uh, a lot of pediatrician training. I do consultative work to South Lake Pediatrics, as well as um, operate something called the Psychiatric Assistance Line, which is a number primary care providers can call when they have complicated. Um, psychiatric needs for their patients, but they're really waiting a long time to get them in. And so we know that there's just, it's hard to get access. And so this is a way to, I don't know, provide some extra help to our other colleagues in other fields of medicine when they're running into some of those barriers to get their patients in for care. I like the thing, the point that you made about being a parent and being a real world parent, because we all think we're going to become a parent and then it's going to be like super easy. Our kids are going to be just like us. And then you become a parent. And you're like, oh, OK, none of that's true. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know I, I could yell as loud as I do sometimes. <laughs> I didn't know I had it in me. So I've, I've learned a lot from both my training, but also just my kids. So. Yeah, just, it's just being a parent. Yep. Uh, so thank you for sharing that with us. Julie, how about you? Can you tell us how you became interested in being a school social worker and a little bit about yourself? Yeah, um, I like to say that I'm sort of an accidental school social worker. Um, I actually started my career in adolescent mental health and chemical dependency training and had my undergraduate in psychology. 
thinking that that was going to be enough to sort of go forth and help families and help kids, only to very quickly realize that I needed a master's degree or some kind of advanced training um, and to become licensed in mental health. So I went back to school and got my master's degree from St. Thomas St. Catherine's joint um, social work program. And around that same time, started working for Anoka County and their children's mental health unit, which was just one of my all-time favorite jobs, I'll be completely honest. I felt so privileged to sit at people's dining room tables or to attend appointments you know, with professionals like Dr. Stein um, and really sort of walk alongside a family as they're navigating potentially a really complicated and often frustrating mental health system for children. Um, for the last five years when I worked with the county, I actually was placed at River Trail Learning Center. At that time, it was actually Bell Center um, as a co-located social worker. And so part of my week was spent uh, working with the students in the setting for special education program, as well as part of my week spent doing the case management piece. Um, when the school social work position opened at River Trail, um, I jumped at the opportunity because I too have two kids at home. And at that point they were pretty little and I was really looking forward to the opportunity to have summers off and a little mm -hmm. more flexibility to my family schedule. Um, and so now, gosh, 12 years later, 13 years later, something like that, um, I am still at River Trail Learning Center, which I said is the setting for special education program in our school district. Um, and I'm also the co-lead of the school social work department. Um, and somehow my kids have managed to become 14 and 11 uh, <laughs> and have certainly led me through the world of, yeah, how to navigate so much of this, um, that it's not just knowing things, it, it's knowing them and helping parents to, to navigate it and apply it. Because you can know a lot of information and in that moment, it, it's just not accessible. Right, we kind of get tricked into the same brain response that our kids do, and so it sort of shuts off that part of our brain that we know really important things, and they just can't be accessed in that moment. Totally, especially when it's your family or you, right? Like it's always easier to tell someone else how to do something than when you have to do it. You're like, I wait, I know how to do this, but now I have to take a step back and apply what I know, and it's sometimes hard to do that. I do also um, appreciate the, the, how much you've shared with us about what you do for Anoka Hennepin. I know that um, you work at River Trail, as you mentioned, but you are the co-lead for the social workers and just are on a lot of committees in the, in the community and then bring that information back to our school district too. So I, I, I know you wear a lot of hats in the role that you currently are doing as well. So thank you for all you do um, every day to support our students and our, our families in our district. Dr. Stein, can you, um, I know you shared a little bit in your introduction about who you are. You talked a little bit about prairie care and some of the things that you that you do each day. Um, yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about the programming that, that prairie care does offer, especially for people that live in the Brooklyn Park community or, or, or around it maybe on a larger scale? Absolutely. So prairie care is a standalone behavioral health organization. We offer um, care throughout the life um, and lifespan there, you know, for a long time, it's felt that prairie care just did youth work, but we actually have a lot of work also for parents and um, even mothers dealing with postpartum depression and other things like that. Um, but we kind of offer this continuum. And so if you think about it, the least we kind of think about the least invasive or 
you know, the setting for, you know, that is easiest to get into is clinic. So it would be a clinic appointments, going to see a doctor, a psychiatrist or an advanced practice nurse about medications, about mental health needs, um, assessments, and then kind of slowly increases in kind of the level of uh, dedication that a patient and their family is going to have to be part of. So the next step would be some of the intensive outpatient programming, key term being outpatient. And usually that means not every day of the week and not for the full day. So often for a few hours after school, three or four days a week, or potentially during the day for some of the adult programming. Mm -hmm. And usually that's for people who are having um, illness to a degree, but are still functioning pretty well to a degree. And so those focus on more therapy and there's not usually a medical context, not always a doctor there. Although for some of the adult programs there are. The next step up would be what I primarily do, which is a partial hospital program. And partial hospital is considered a hospitalization, but it's partial, meaning at the end of the day, you do go home. And, the, and it's a really nice kind of niche in mental health and in behavioral health services because it allows the child to continue kind of experiencing their real world, whether it's you know, what's going on at home or it's the sports that are hard or friendships. And so at the same time, they're getting this kind of intensive hospital level support with a doctor and a nurse, a social worker, a group therapist, family therapy, social skills training, whatever it may be. They're also practicing it then in the real world in the evenings and on weekends. Um, and at Prairie Care, usually that's about a, a three to five week commitment. And it's very individualized to the person how long they stay. Um, and that is often for kids who are struggling with school attendance due to mental health symptoms or there's aggression, there's significant safety concerns, but we're at a point where they don't need to be in the hospital. They don't need those four walls around them 24 hours a day to stay safe. And so that, that, that's the next level of care up is inpatient hospitalization. And that's kind of classically what we think of as an inpatient hospital stay. And usually that's around five to 10 days, but it really depends on somebody's mm -hmm. need. And there's quite a range of different reasons people may need that, um, but it's something that's really helpful. It helps with immediate direct stabilization. And a change with how maybe some people may think about psychiatric stays is maybe back in the 80s, we saw them as a very long amount of time until everything was where it needed to be. And nowadays, they're really utilized for kind of imminent risk, so immediate risk, immediate need. And then once someone stabilizes enough, we want to get them to a least restrict to the next restrict least restrictive level of care. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times kids will be in the hospital for about a week and then they'll join us in like a partial hospital program where they can start to really practice but still get that support. And then finally, Prairie Care does have what's called a residential program, and that's a long-term kind of stay. Often the very high acute risk is gone, but there's a need for kind of long-term intensive therapy that also takes them out of their home environment because it may be that they need that structure, that different support on a day-to-day -day basis to really relearn developmental skills or invoke a very significant type of therapy. And that can last on the orders of weeks to months. Um, and that is in, I think, the Maple Grove area. So, yeah. That was really helpful to me because I, when I think of Prairie Care, right, I think of, I, I see the standalone places and think of the the level one, right? The, the clinical appointment, I would just go and make an appointment or have my, uh, make an appointment for my child. 
but I appreciate that there are different options. And it sounds like from what you're saying, you can kind of move in and out of them as needed. Or you, maybe if you, you were in that level four and you needed, you can move down then. So that's really, yeah. really great to learn. Yeah, I think a lot of people, you know, we really want to think of steps always going like in one direction, but we also need to give people the care they need in a moment. And mm-hmm. so maybe they're hospitalized, they come to PHP for a few days, and then you know what, it doesn't feel like we're quite ready. They may go back to the hospital and then leave and be in the partial hospital for a couple more weeks. And we have kids who start in partial hospital and then go to the the intensive outpatient, kids who start in intensive outpatient, end up inpatient and then go to clinic. It really is figuring out what's right for them. Um, and it's trying to figure out the steps that they need at that mm-hmm. time. And so it really depends on why they're there and, and what's occurring. I think that's so important because we all know some days we're all we're doing really great and then other days are harder for us, right? So I just think it's it's a really great opportunity to learn more that you it isn't a step up or a step down. It's it's either way and kind of ebbs and flows with the particular patient. So thank you for telling a little bit more about all the great things that Prairie Care does each day. Uh, Julie, kind of along that same vein, or um, I know you and, and Dr. Stein know each other a little bit from some of the work you do. Can you provide some insight about the role of student support staff in our schools and how they help facilitate connections with resources such as Prairie Care? Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is something that I think in Anoka Hennepin, we do really well, but we always strive to do even better. Um, because there's just no way for any one person to know all of the resources. Um, and so our different departments, whether that's school social work or the counselors or student achievement advisors, um, really try to you know, communicate those questions of whether a family is asking for a resource that maybe they're just not knowledgeable about, or maybe mm-hmm. they've never run into that question before, right? Really trying to rely on your colleagues to give you that feedback and answer questions about what might be available. Um, And so student support staff, part of our role is to be that conduit between a family and the school district, or even, um, you know, the teaching staff, for instance, or administrators, um, to recognize that there is a range of mental health services and supports that are community-based. Um, that aren't, you know, related to the educational support and services that we provide. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, in particular in my world in the special education department, um, there sometimes is confusion when we talk about an educational disability or um, an emotional or a behavioral disorder um, that we automatically assume that there's a clear connection then to getting those students, you know, connected with mental health supports. And really the educational system and the medical system are completely separate sort of entities and processes that are happening. Um, And hopefully we can overlap them in a way that's meaningful for a family, Mm -hmm. but it it doesn't always connect itself um, well um, or without someone leading that. And so the student support staff, it's our job if a family calls in with a question to have some answers or to say, you know, that's not actually a question that I've had before. Let me get some feedback from my colleagues and I'll get back to you about that. Um, And to know kind of geographically, maybe what are those resources that might be close by? And then what are some of those specialty services that we don't have within the Anoka Hennepin attendance area? But how do we help that family navigate getting to that resource? Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, it's our job to, to sort of know enough to ask the questions back or to 
uh, connect to some resources and then just continue to rely on our colleagues to help us, you know, come up with even more ideas. I think um, kind of what you're saying too is like a, a parent, like having children, as we talked about earlier, it's it's a, the most beautiful and wonderful thing that probably has happened to all of us, but also it's probably the most challenging thing that we're continuing each day. Things come up where we're like, wow, I don't know how to do this. I don't know what to, that means or who to reach out to. And I know from our experience, um, having really great resources in our school at the elementary level really helped our, my son that, that has been struggling or struggles with working uh-huh. through school, what does that look like? But then also partnering with the, his doctor's office who who's, works with Prairie Care to really figure out how both settings can help him, but then also having that um, conversation between the therapist and the doctor and or the school staff and kind of having a team to circle around that, that child um, or that family, right? Like it, we all need a village around us to really support us and knowing that um, schools are working closely with external partners to really support our students is is really key and then also our support staff as you're mentioning julia really really honed in on and learning what support staff or excuse me support resources are in the community to be able to offer some suggestions maybe they don't know everything but you could say here's a place to start which i know is super helpful to our has been super helpful for our family yeah liz just to kind of piggyback on that i think that a lot of times parents when they don't match when their parenting style doesn't match up well with their kid, um, it can be really hard. Mm-hmm. And I always think of it as like parents have their own intuitive range of effective and like really good parenting. And sometimes we're like lucky enough that our kid <laughs> falls in that range. Yes. But I I know from being a parent that there's things that don't match up with me and my kids sometimes. And that is where, you know, the professional help, the in-school help is so valuable because sometimes we got to try another path and sometimes it works really, really well. Mm-hmm. And um, it doesn't always have to be during like a really hard time or a difficult time. It can just be like, man, like I can't get my kid to tie his shoes. And then all of a sudden it's like, look, like his seven-year-old buddy came over and taught him in seven minutes and I've been trying <laughs> for two weeks. And so sometimes it's just about kind of getting out of our like comfort area and, and learning a new style. And that's something that works really well with parents. And it does mm-hmm. not mean just because you don't match up doesn't mean you're not the right parent for the kid. Just right. means you might have to go outside your comfort zone. And try to learn. Like we did a podcast a couple months ago on mindset that you you haven't, you don't know how to do it yet. So you're always learning as an adult. It doesn't stop at any point. It's just trying to figure out how to support your, your little one as they're transitioning to becoming an adult or we're giving them skills to adulthood. I like it, that. I think it's so funny that you mentioned the shoe tying thing, because that's exactly what happened in our house. I tried to teach my older one to tie a shoe and then his friend came over and taught him. Uh And then he has a brother that's 18 months younger. And I'm like, okay, now your job is to teach your brother because it is hard (laughs) to teach them to do those skills that are just, we think that everyone knows how to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think we've also all probably had that experience as well. That's something that you have been trying to teach your kid or that you've been talking with that child about all of a sudden the teacher might say the same thing in a class and, and your child comes home and is like, mom, you would never believe. And then right. They fill in the blank. That you're, you're just shaking your head. Like, yeah, I, I know. Yep. I've been, I've been saying that. Um, yeah. I actually had an interesting experience when my daughter um, transitioned to the middle school There was an orientation night and the school social worker and counselor led uh, kind of a training for the parents on social media use in middle schools. 
and the social worker um, was talking about brain development and did a, a session or talked about um, the amygdala development. Um, and really that's kind of the emotional reasoning area of the brain. And my husband for weeks afterwards would be like, gosh, I just can't stop thinking about the Amidala and how, I mean, our daughter's Amidala just isn't quite developed yet. And that's I just cute. had to chuckle because I teach mental health classes in the district. And I can't, I can't tell you how many times I've probably mentioned the amygdala at home yeah. and it went over his head, but suddenly this other professional saying it, you know, in a training that relates directly to our daughter, it was like a light bulb went off. And I'm sure that's very much what happens with our kids when their teachers say it. Um, so I agree, Liz. I think the school staff hold a very important role in in families and in, in kind of joining with them and, and pushing forward some, some conversations, even if it's the same thing that we have been trying to, to say or to do as parents. Thanks for both of your insight and sharing a little bit about yourself and Prairie Care and the role of school staff. We're going to take a quick break. Hang on and we'll be right back. Prairie Care can help guide you through the process of getting help with your mental health. If you are feeling overwhelmed or seeking help for others, we can get you in touch with what you need. Whether you're looking for clinical services, a specialty outpatient program, youth and adolescent services, adult intensive outpatient programs, or a more intensive level of care like inpatient treatment, Prairie Care has you and your family covered. Visit prairie-care.com to learn more. Before the break, we were talking with Dr. Stein and, and, and Julie about their who they are and being a social worker and being a doctor and also just being a parent. Now that we've returned from the break, Dr. Stein, I'm hoping that you can tell us a little bit about if, so before the break, you were telling us about the different steps or the different options that Prairie Care offers. Let's say a parent reaches out to you or reaches out to a school staff and says, I'm concerned about my child. What would, what would I do for if I needed support? What would be my first step if I didn't know what to do? The first step at Prairie Care, we do mental health screenings for free. And I think this is a really good way. Because I know a lot of parents, it's like, how do I get into the mental health resources? And so you can go to the website of prairie-care.com. Um, or you could call 952-826-8475. And it really is an opportunity to essentially just kind of share what's going on in your family. Um, you know, we have various staff kind of at that entry level who are various staff who like at that entry point who you can talk with. They are all um, mental health trained. They are all um, graduates and they do an opportunity of kind of looking at what the needs of your child are. And you know, have they missed a lot of school and been unsafe lately? Maybe they need partial hospital. Are they going to school but have just been really sad and overwhelmed? Um, maybe they need a, a clinic appointment and some therapy, and they'll help identify that. And while they definitely refer to Prairie Care Services, they also refer to a lot of other services across the city because there are some really specific areas or specific um, physicians and, and therapists who do really good work for a lot of specific needs. So um, I think that's a really nice entry point mm -hmm. um, when you're looking for care. I think that it's really great to know that information because sometimes as a parent, you you 
there's sometimes a stigma around mental health or, or not knowing if your, your child needs support or doesn't need support. So just being, ha- being able to have a number to call or a person to call and kind of explain the situation and, and talk through it is yeah. just a really great thing to know that is in our community, right? Like sometimes your kid, it might just be going through something temporarily, or sometimes it might be a time for them to start getting services and care. And it's just uh-huh. a really great point to, to call someone and talk to them. You don't yep. have to necessarily sign up for services the, when they make the phone call. It's just more of an understanding of what's out there, right? Absolutely. So it's okay to call. And like some families call and they're like, we are in a crisis. We need more support. Yep. We're looking at your partial hospital. But a lot of families call and just say, you know what? Things are not okay right now for my kid or for my family. Mm-hmm. And I just need to kind of understand if there's other steps I need to be taking. And so um, it's okay to just call and say, hey, I just need a little help figuring out what the next step is here. And I think that's a a really good jumping off place. Mm -hmm. Um, I think also like Julie and her staff, and these are people you can turn to in the school, you may already know them. And um, they have like a robust amount of knowledge and knowledge of the city and knowledge of kind of even like the individual like areas and school districts of what's available. And they may be able to help with referrals as well. Mm-hmm. But it is tricky, man. Entry points for mental health are, are kind of weird. It, it gets a little confusing sometimes knowing where to turn. Right. And I think it's just the first step of reaching out and talking to someone about it. Like knowing that a parent's not alone, you're not the first parent or the last parent that's going to have to try to navigate services. So I think reaching out to someone and, and asking, right? Absolutely. And you're not alone. And it's so common. And I think people are actually doing a much better job talking about it nowadays. Mm-hmm. And I think our, our younger generations, it's more normative. And even like memes, like are all, <laughs> all over anxiety and depression and all this stuff. And, and using humor is often a really good way to access like uncomfortable topics and, mm-hmm. and allow people to talk about them. But it is very different. And it, we're moving in a really nice direction, at least in that way. That's awesome to hear. Julie, we're going to kind of take a right turn on the next question, but we know that um, you work in in the schools and we know that testing testing season, placement test transitions as the school year is wrapping up are happening right now and on the last trimester that started this week. Um, So what are some things that you're hearing or how do you, how do school staff support students that may be struggling with some of these things? Yeah, I think that's a a great question and very timely. Um, As far as the testing piece, um, oh, there's so many things that I could say about standardized <laughs> testing in schools and, and sort of how I view it connected uh, to, to some mental health pieces. Um, I, I think, you know, one of the things that I would encourage any parent to remember is that, you know, MCAs or other placement tests, it's a single snapshot in time on a single day. And that single day can be impacted by so many different variables. Um, and, and if some of those things within our control, some things not, right? Just a really poor night's sleep the night before, and maybe you're, you know, a student woke up and realized, oh, that their favorite cereal was out and that the mm-hmm. milk was spoiled. And like those little <laughs> things, right, become sort of just the tipping point that then walking into a school building and hearing, oh my gosh, that's right, it's our social studies MCA test today, and that's two and a half hours this afternoon. A a student just comes in in a really poor state of mind and potentially isn't going to test as well as as other days. Mm -hmm. And then everything might go well for that next student that they're sitting next to. Um, So just 
really reminding parents that it's that one snapshot. Is it important for, for school districts? Absolutely. Um, it's really important that we have, you know, a large amount of our students participating and doing their best. Um, but if that's not your student on that particular day, giving grace to yourself and just knowing that that particular day was a rough day. Um, I also definitely think that for some of our families who do decide to opt out, it's because they know that the stress is too much for their student. And I don't believe that gaining the information from that one test in that single moment on that one day is worth, you know, risking a student melting down mm -hmm. or um, a, a student, you know, coming home and saying, oh, I'm so stressed out. That's all my teachers are talking about right now. Um, that's something that we're going through in my house. Um, my fifth grader, um, she, the, the, she, she stresses out at tests to begin with and already the, the schedule has come out and already she's talking about it at dinner. She's saying, oh my gosh, you know, this is what my teacher keeps talking about and there's so much pressure and, and I don't want to do poorly. And we just have to normalize that, hey, whatever you're going to do is what you're going to do. And I believe you're going to give it your best mm -hmm. and that's going to be enough. Um, and so really just trying to be supportive of your student. Um, and like I said, that we, we know that for some kids, it's not going to be worth doing the testing to jeopardize their mental health. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just, that's a, you know, that's a consideration that every family needs to make. Um, as far as sort of your question regarding transition, you know, one of the things I think we can help our kids with is sometimes verbalizing kind of feelings that they're having that they haven't connected the dots to mm -hmm. that might be related to, gosh, I wonder if you're going to miss this teacher. She seems to have been your favorite. Um, wow, I think you're, you seem to, to, to be kind of frustrated lately. I wonder if it's because you're sad that you're leaving middle school and you're going to be transitioning to high school. Um, sometimes us putting words to what a kid is experiencing in their body is just enough to plant the seed that that feeling is related to these life circumstances. And maybe, you know, maybe our child has never thought about it in that mm -hmm. way. And certainly we know for some of our older kids, right? They're just gonna kind of scoff at like, oh my gosh, mom, no, that's not <laughs> what's happening. Um, but, I, but I think the fact that we can tune into some of that and give words to it and give space if our child does wanna talk about it can be really helpful. Mm -hmm. um, so I think just sort of acknowledging um, a lot of kids have a lot of ambivalence, right? We have kind of mixed emotions. Kids can be really excited about the next step and really worried about the next step all in the same moment. And so part of our job as parents is just helping them kind of navigate that both can be true mm -hmm. um, and, and that they're going to get through it um, because they've gotten through lots of other situations where ambivalence is, is present. Dr. Stein, kind of in that same lens that Julie's talking about, knowing that transitions hap are happening and placement tests and the school years wrapping up, seasons are changing. We all uh -huh. also know that there has been this pandemic for the last two years, and we've been exposed to some unique mental health needs, whether it's with children, whether it's with parenting, whether it's with our parents, right? Like all of us as a society have yeah. had a lot going on in the last two years of new things to navigate and work through. Are there any trends that you're seeing in ways that um, your organization is responding to some of those trends? Yeah, so I think everyone kind of knows in their bones that this has been a really, really, really hard time mm -hmm. and dealing with the amount of uncertainty and kind of what's the next step for so long is really hard on us as people. 
Um, the Journal of the American Medical Association, like last week, just released some information showing that there's a significant increase in like depressive symptoms, but also like conduct symptoms, so, like uh, like more like opposition, defiance, lying, stealing, behavioral issues in kids mm-hmm. over the past two years. And then we've also seen this has been tied to like, and, and we're not saying that these are related, but we've also seen that for families, parental caregivers, there's been more incidents of stress, poverty, food uncertainty, um, parents feeling like they're at their wits end than we've ever seen before. And so when you kind of combine those, I don't, you know, you can't say it's the chicken or the egg, but it's been a really, really hard time. And so we have seen a lot higher utilization or use of our services and across the board, when I do my, my work with pediatricians, they are, they are spending more time doing mental health work mm-hmm. than they've ever done in their practice before. They're learning more about mental health to kind of, used to be they kind of would know how to do the first couple steps of medication adjustment or some referrals. They're having to do more and more because it's harder to get in with psychiatry. Mm-hmm. As a whole, I think a theme that we are seeing is more issues with school refusal and school avoidance than we've seen before. It's always an issue for certain kids, but I think the pandemic and the shift towards in-home, then out of home, then in-home kind of introduced this kind of potential that as much as I don't want to say this, but school can feel optional, or Mm -hmm. at least it doesn't feel mandatory to some kids. And so when they feel stressed, when they feel overwhelmed, they maybe have lost that ability to like, I just have to go. And families also got to a point where they want to make sure their kids are okay. And they're, they're kind of struggling with how to get them going again as we kind of move back into in-person schooling. And so we've seen a lot more of that. And I've seen it from all backgrounds, all the spectrum of wealth, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. um, across all the districts that we serve. It's just a, a bigger issue. Um, and so we're going to trying to support these kids and get them going again. I think with I mean, none of us had had the option to do school from home unless we were homeschooled, right? So I think that that was like a huge transition for families, period. We know that it was. And then try, then last year with being back and forth and, and figuring out what does this look like for our family and students, even my kids sometimes like, well, I don't really feel like going to school because this is their, they've been in school now every day this year. And I'm like, well, it's, it's not a choice anymore. You had one or one or two years of your life that it would be a choice no one ever has had that option before. And so we're having some of those conversations in our house too, of just like, it's not an option for you. You have to go. It's, it's what's expected of you as a, as a kiddo. Um, I think that I want to circle back to the point that Julie made too before about um, putting words to the life circumstances. I think in both situations, it's really important as the parent to be able to, to think about that. Like, how can I put words to how you're maybe feeling, maybe about going to school or not having the option to do it or, or when you're feeling stressed, maybe talking through or talking about why they might be having those feelings and being able to name it too as a parent, because some of us maybe don't have those skills or are working on those skills for ourselves as well. Um, the other thing I wanted to circle back on too is I know we had talked earlier about um, that there are services in our community that can can help our, our students and our, our youth and our, and our adults. And then the school is another option to go to as well. Um, one thing that we didn't hit on that we had brainstormed talking about was that during the school year, a lot of times you can go to the teacher or the, the social worker at the school to ask for services. But then obviously, as we know, the, the school year winds up and you have summer care 
or summertime where the student is either in other care or they're at home with the family. And so I think the point you made earlier, Dr. Stein, about that prairie care is there year round, right? Like 365 with a lot of different opportunities. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So there, there are a lot of different services, but yeah, we're, we go all year round. Mm -hmm. Um, The summer hours for partial program are close to a full school day. Um, So kind of, and then there's still these IOP programs as well. And so we have one called like healthy emotion program that really will works on kind of when you're feeling overwhelmed, when you're feeling distressed, how can you um, kind of challenge those feelings? How can you perceive things differently? Challenge like automatic negative thoughts and mm-hmm. um, move forward. And for some families, the summertime is a really nice fit to kind of lean into those supports, especially for kids who are really successful in school, but struggling with their mental health in other ways, because mm-hmm. it doesn't d- disrupt kind of their trajectory, which they've worked so hard on and been successful in. So I think that, yes, and I think the point, too, is like you don't have to only work with school schools, right? You can also be thinking about other resources in the community as well if, if your child's struggling over the summer or in a time where their school staff is not available. Yeah. I, Liz and Julia, another thing that, I, and you can comment on this, but another thing that the pandemic took away for a lot of families, depending on their risk tolerance, was what I call like positive childhood experiences. And mm-hmm. this is like whether it's going to powwow if you're indigenous or whether it is baseball or basketball or Girl Scouts, whatever it may be. And those things are really valuable because they build community, they build feelings of industry and self-worth in kids. And so I think as we kind of start to get ready for summer, thinking about, hey, you know, the past two summers, we didn't do Y camp or mm-hmm. we never went, we didn't do Boy Scouts, whatever it may be. And those things can be just as valuable. They get, you know, culturally appropriate. Um, also caring adults who look out for your kid. They, you know, when you score a touchdown, when you sink the shot, slap the putt, whatever it may be, you're going to, you build that worth and that strength. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times, it's, you know, these things have gone away for a lot of kids. And we have to remember there's still kids. They should be doing these like other activities and engaging in them. And they're, you know, the, of course, these things cost money, but almost every organization offers scholarships for kids who are interested in it. Mm-hmm. And there's even scholarships that you could get from like the Lions Club and whatever else to get your kid into these programs if there's not scholarships available. And so um, just encouraging to kind of reflect on, hey, maybe it's time to get back, get back into the Lego <laughs> Club or the anime group, whatever it may be. There's enough mm-hmm. out there. There's good things out there for kids. Yeah. And I guess just to say something also about that, that we know for certain families with, you know, high risk medical situations or kids with disabilities, with chronic health conditions, maybe they're still not at a point that it is safe to access some of that. Absolutely. Um, But I I completely agree that sort of trying to reenter the world then as a family and going to a park and, and doing something or as the weather is getting better, right? Making sure that sort of you're getting out in the fresh air um, if that's possible. Doing some things as a, a family at least, if that's the more safe option. Um, but some things that aren't sort of staying in your house, because I agree, um, Dr. Stein, with some of the research that you've quoted and um, some of those pieces where we are definitely seeing as school staff, this increase in school avoidance, um, sort of mm-hmm. al- almost bordering on, on school anxiety um, in student groups that we hadn't been seeing that in um, in the past. And definitely, I think it's, 
a long time of being in the house and not feeling like it's safe to leave, um, or if you felt like it was safe for your family to leave, it, they, they were small crowds in different places. There, there wasn't as much interaction. Um, and so certainly kind of moving into that place of just trying to engage in the outside world in it, whatever shape that looks like that's, that's safe to your family. Um, and I would agree that there are also funds available and grants and different opportunities that, again, that's something that school social workers can help you with, you know, is trying to find what are those summer activities? What are the, the community events that are lower cost um, or, you know, potentially even free that you can access as a family or that you could get your, your student, you know, signed up for this summer? I think another good resource, too, just to bring this up is... Um, most pediatric clinics have care coordinators, and while they're not specific to mental health, they do know a lot of resources in the community. Mm -hmm. And so if you're at a point this summer where you need more support and you're struggling to figure out where to turn, um, your pediatrician can be a really good resource and their care coordinators, their social workers can be helpful. Um, and they do know about, you know, programs that are not just medical. So mm -hmm. they know about, you know, food insecurity programs and they know about, you know, boys and girls clubs and other things that can get your kid engaged again. And so I always try and think about where are these access points? Where are the doors to, to get into things? And so, yeah. Mm -hmm. Community education is one of them, which I know Hannapin has a great community ag program. That was our last podcast. So awesome. Mm -hmm. yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah. I just really appreciate all that you have shared. I want to keep listening to both of you talk all day, but as we wrap up today, I know you both have other things to get to. Is there any last minute tips or takeaways that you want to provide to our listeners? So, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have plenty. Julie, you want to go, you go ahead, Julie. I'll, I'll follow you up. We've touched on so many big topics um, mm -hmm. and, you know, the one that we've kind of ended on really around this emerging from the pandemic experience. Um, I, I just can't say strongly enough that for the families that have lost um, family members who have lost, you know, loved ones who have lost friends, this is a really different experience potentially than maybe just some of us who have lost some sick leave or, you know, who have had our budget impacted. Uh -huh. um, and so just sort of acknowledging that people are in many different places across the spectrum of what this has really meant um, to their life and how it's impacted them. And to just sort of give yourself grace in whatever place you're at on that spectrum. Um, and as a parent, if you, you know, have managed to get through it and you're sort of all in one piece, um, even though quite honestly, maybe your family isn't all together anymore or you know, maybe your kids have had some new struggles, but also some new successes. Um, just really, I think sort of everyone collectively taking a deep breath and letting it out and patting yourself on the back a little bit, because we just, we're, we're, we're finishing, hopefully, going through an experience that very few other generations have gone through. And we're doing it with social media present and, you know, learning platforms and just things that have never been experienced before. Um, and I just can't say enough how how much parents need to give themselves credit for everything that we have gone through in trying to raise our kids through this experience. Um, and so definitely having that parting word for everyone, um, as well as just, you know, sort of throwing, you know, all resources on the table as far as school staff go, that we really are here to support you and 
sort of navigate this the the challenges as well as the successes and really just want to encourage parents to to come to us if we are a trusting relationship and if we have built that relationship come to us and and have a conversation and and let us kind of throw some ideas out as well as just reinforce the really great things that you're already doing to to piggyback on that um there's this concept in mental health and in therapy that the child is the identified patient, mm -hmm. meaning that in the chart, it's their name. However, that also means that the family deserves support and treatment too. And we meet a lot of adults who have already found their own support. Now they're getting it for their kids. But sometimes the kid needing support is the start of the family getting some help. And this has been a very difficult few years. Um, and a lot of times, Adults are just treading water to keep their family afloat. Mm -hmm. And if you're finding a bit of space now, you may recognize that while, you know, little Timmy needs support, you know, mom and dad may too. And just because you start therapy doesn't mean you're going to be doing it weekly for the next 10 years. Um, it can be very directed and it can be some brief sessions, but it's, it's worthwhile to unpack what's happened. And you mm -hmm. may find by caring for yourself as a parent, you'll do more than you know, the therapy sessions your kids would do alone as you kind of come back to your nadir and you come back to your well-being, it really, really helps your child too. Mm -hmm. So take care of yourself. And as Julie said, pat yourself on the back um, and uh, cheers to a more steady few years in the future. Knock yes, hopefully. Yeah. Cheers to that. Um, thank you both so much for being here today. It's been a pleasure to to meet you, Dr. Stein, and to hear from both of you and, and to, to learn a little bit more about the great work you're both doing. Um, our community is a better place because of both of you. So thank you again, and um, cheers to a great spring and summer as we move forward into uh, a new time. Thank you thank so you much very for much. hosting. Yeah, thank you, Liz. Thank you for listening. This resource is produced as a partnership between the Anoka Hennepin Parent Engagement Program and Student Services Department. Be sure to check out additional episodes in the Parent Engage 360 podcast series. For more information or to share feedback, visit ahschools.us slash parentengage360.